0: I'm let you finish. in 5 4
1: 3 2 Hello and welcome to On In 5. Thank you for joining us. My name is Anton Ryder. I'm uh, joined by my friends here Ethan Bonine and Austin Thomas. How are you guys hanging tonight?
0: I'm doing good. I'm going to quote the irrelevant to this episode singer from uh, Pearl Jam Eddie Vedder. <laughs> I'm still alive.
1: Wow. Okay, cool. No, I'm, I'm I like just that. Fine. Yeah. I don't have more to add than just fine. Hmm. Yeah. How are you, Tony? I'm good. Yeah, I guess uh, I if we're going to quote people, either. I'll quote Elton John and say, I'm still standing. Right?
2: Yeah. Shoot, um, nice. I'll got, quote uh, the late, great, <laughs> oh, um.
1: You immediately <laughs> limited yourself to dead people only. Just, yeah, I know. God. Well,
0: <laughs> who are you going to do? Hmm.
1: Great. Anyway, so who we are working with tonight is Can't we are this. on God, damn, MC Hammer is not dead. So. That's uh, so, shit. Still alive. So we are on part three of My Chemical Romance. Uh, yes, this we is, are. This is going to be my favorite part of the series because tonight we are talking about the creation and the destruction of the Black Parade, which is my favorite album by him, and I'm so excited to get into it.
2: I so, love this album so much and this whole cycle is so interesting and so much fun.
1: It actually I was really scared doing the research for this episode. This is the first episode that I was scared that I was going to like the album less after I read this book and read and doing this part. No. And and then I listened to the album no. again and still love it. It's so. still it almost <laughs> makes still it better. It's so good. It's such a good one. Yes. Um, so, when we last left the band, they had just finished touring for just shy of two years from March 2004 to December 2005. They had grown extremely huge while they were on the road, and now they had to learn to cope with that fame. The biggest issue they found was that the world didn't stop when they left. They came home to find that stores had opened and closed all around them. Mini malls. Mini malls as far as the eye can see. <laughs> just circuit cities and goddamn borders Chains. everywhere. Uh, hot housing topics developments. Hot topics I'm sure were raging at this time. Yeah, and my chemical yeah. romance was starting to show up in them all the mm-hmm. time. Um yeah, they couldn't get away from their own fame. I mean they were kind of, you know, the the emo uh, emo pioneers, I guess, even though they don't like that word, uh every, you know, everyone <laughs> knew my chemical romance as emo and everyone yeah, knew my chemical romance uh it was lumped they as made it. it
2: huge just yeah. take it as it is because i mean that's what plenty of people call it they
1: mainstreamed it. it they sure did yes they did um so relationships with friends and family were much different and they always had to be prepared to talk to anyone at any time so they could no longer just be themselves they had to act they had to act twenty four seven. Yeah, they always had to kind of be on and be smiling and stuff. Like they couldn't have a, a bad day. Such as you, chore. yeah, as you always hear. I feel like if you're an emo
0: them. band, you should be acting sad the whole time. I don't know, That's but a they ch-
1: never fucking wo- chore too. <laughs> <Not> <laughs> yeah, <honest>. it is <laughs> two ends of the spectrum. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I just want to be neutral. I just don't want to feel just, anything.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to tell everyone I am content. Um, so So on top of them having to act and be, you know, be who they thought the world wanted them to be, they were so used to having a structure and a schedule day to day, even if that schedule was gruesome and tiring that they weren't sure what to do with themselves when they were done. The band for the most part, handled this transition from touring to not touring with relative ease, but Mikey was really beginning to struggle he wasn't used to not seeing his bandmates every day uh, he did get engaged to his girlfriend Alicia Simmons who is the bassist for the band from first to last who he had actually met on tour from first to last turned into skrillex cuz sonny started to do edm after that that's, that's kind of fun it is,
2: it is
0: kind of fun yes
1: how about it he's actually back in the band now he joined back in yep. 2017
0: yes yep. he did they released a new song too i don't know if it's any good it okay. i don't care about from first to I last also- very much I do. I love them. <laughs> Screw She's you guys. I take it early but
1: It's fine. Yeah, uh, Ali Matt Good's Al- awesome tour. Alicia actually, or Alicia Alicia actually wasn't in the band uh, as a full member. She was actually more of a touring or a session member. Uh, but they met when they were on tour, so it makes sense why they met that way. So, even it does though he could make a lot yeah. of sense, doesn't I'm it? About he met the touring musician on, on tour. tour yep. uh, but even meeting and getting engaged to his fiance, Alicia, couldn't get him away from the drinking and pills he was leaning on. They moved to Brooklyn, but that only made things harder as the rest of the band was still residing in New Jersey, minus Bob, who I think was in Chicago.
2: Yeah, that's what was bizarre to me. Like, I really miss seeing my bandmates every day. This is depressing. I'll, maybe I should move to a city that not every single one of them except one is already in.
1: Yeah. <laughs> move somewhere <laughs> completely different. Uh, just distance myself further and then be upset. No about it, logic right? there. I guess, right. Sometimes it's, fine. it's
2: fun to be sad.
1: Yep, so you just really got to wallow in it. So they also had to learn how to be celebrities, kind of like we said uh, a little bit ago. They dealt with it on tour, but they were filling a role while they were on the road. So they kind of put on this mask of we are on the road. We are these celebrities. We will talk to people, everything like that. But now that they were able to sleep in their own beds and see their family and friends, they couldn't turn the fame off. They hated seeing themselves in magazines or on TV or, like I said, in Hot Topics. Uh, with their shirts everywhere and stuff like that. Everyone wanted to meet Gerard and Mikey and Ray and Frank and Bob, and they didn't want it. They wanted to be able to go to a coffee shop and just get a coffee and just live normal lives, but they weren't able to do that when they weren't on the road. And on top of that, they were expected to write their follow-up album to Three Cheers and once again had to find inspiration for it. When they wrote Three Cheers, a big motivator was the loss of Gerard and Mikey's grandmother, And the drinking helped, but now they had to dig deeper for what to come up with.
2: This was a a turbulent time because, and for all of them, especially Gerard, because he was scared that the direction the next album was going to go. They didn't have any idea how or where it was going to go because revenge was fueled by so much emotion and and substance at the same time, and that wasn't Mm -hmm. really there this time around, so they didn't know what they were going to do. Yeah.
0: Their bus studio that we talked about at the end of last episode helped them sift through ideas a lot
1: right they could kind of weed out the crap i kind of yeah. think about uh when they when they wrote three cheers they kind of they they had this obvious vehicle for how to write the album through the loss of elena and and their drinking and stuff so that really helped them but this time they didn't have that same immediate obvious motivator so what they had to do was they had to look more internal which, which almost ends up worse completely tears them <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: it almost goes worse than Revenge. Yeah,
1: I would not say almost. <laughs> yeah, I would say you're actually does probably right. Yeah, <laughs> very, uh, very much does. Yeah, they, they didn't. Yeah, they just had to f- basically dig out their demons to write music that they wanted they to, had to do. Bleed themselves they dry. Yes. So at the beginning of 2006, they started pre-production on their next album. They had snippings and outlines and rough recordings of some songs that they did while on tours. Ethan said on the bus uh, retrofitted to become a studio. But they only kept a little bit of what they came up with. Mainly the parts for I Don't Love You, Disenchanted, and Dead. Which I didn't know before I read the book, but this song was actually inspired by ELO's Mr. Blue Sky and Cheap Tricks' I Want You to Want Me. And if you go listen to that song now, Dead, uh, again with that knowledge, it will totally change the way you hear it in a good way.
0: They said that they were trying to replicate like the poppiness of ELO's song Mr. Blue Sky. Like they're just trying to get that upbeatness mm-hmm. that they captured in their song, and this is the only song that I tried to learn yeah. on guitar from this so album. Like the so like swingy and bluesy. Yeah, and it's so fast
1: and. Yeah. <laughs> and, and both, both so <laughs> Mr. Blue Sky and I Want You to Want Me have that that same very on the on time upbeat like pop pop yeah, pop it, it pop makes pop for pop such pop a pop pop catchy pop. bit. So for for this session They went to SIR Studios in New York So they finished up I Don't Love You pretty quick Having it mostly done from their time on the bus They also started work on The End And Teenagers But it was one song that would completely shape The album as a whole And it was done solely on a bet And that song was Mama Rabe was bet that he couldn't write A like East German polka song On the guitar that would be any good He fucking does he does it. <laughs> he it. Yeah, he it Spoiler, space. he does it. It's very, It's very good. <laughs> so good. He began toying around with the goofy off-time, like, wank, 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 weird chord riff that would completely shape the song. The rest of the band heard it and really loved it, and they had an epiphany from it. They shouldn't try to change their sound from three cheers. They had a unique all over the place sound and could do whatever they wanted and so they should instead embrace that and intentionally try to make a crazy over-the-top album having no bars on what's allowed and create whatever came to them
2: bat shit crazy is how gerard will describe it and that's exactly what it ends up being this album is so all over the place but still so cohesive and we'll talk more about it but mama plays a really big role in how this whole album will develop
0: yeah, Ray said that he wanted an album that their fans could show to their kids in twenty to thirty years, and their their kids would be able to listen to it and hear like how good mm. it is still. Like he wanted it to be like a timeless album, which that album did. A good good job it. Of, yeah, is four, yeah.
1: fourteen years old uh, as of this recording, <laughs> and I, I will listen to it. I listen to it probably two or three times a week. Small personal
0: story. I, I work with. I work at a grocery store, so I work with a lot of kids. And there's one kid that works with me. That's I think he's he has just turned 21 now, and he had, like said in high school he started listening to my Chemical
1: Romance yeah. like on a whim. They're still, and I mean, just, yeah, it's just they still do it. Still kicking, man. It's, it's nuts. I love it. Damn, yeah. freaking love it. I didn't, that, <laughs> I didn't know that. Carry Mama on. I didn't know that Mama was like the the center point of this album. Not yeah, that I don't I didn't either. love Mama, but like I never thought of it as kind of. The inspiration. It to basically make this tells whole them thing. they
2: can get away with whatever they want to. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it basically shows love. them they can set out to make a song.
1: It makes the playing field very wise. Yes. Yes. I, yes. I always enjoyed it and now I enjoy it much more knowing that it was that was their baby going into it. Yep. That makes it makes me love it. So Gerard wanted this album to be very theatrical and kept having a vision about death and what it looks and feels like and wanted to build off of that. He saw different characters, like a character called The Patient, a character called Mother War, and a character called The Escape Artist. He really wanted to build an album into a world all its own. A conceptual album. How about it? Yes, he... But usually uh, I, I don't
2: did... like that much. This one's just but different. it works. Yeah, this Does it?
1: Yeah.
0: This one, like... There's only, like, there's one other that I like. There's
2: so few that go this far all in. Like, this whole thing is concept on concept. <laughs>
1: Yeah, but somehow you can still pick out any one song and it's still super good super by itself, good itself, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's not like you need the the imagery to build it into mm-hmm. this wonderful song. It's still any one song is still really good on its own, which is yeah. um, incredible so feat to, be able to pull off. So the band dove headfirst into the album with the working title The Rise and Fall of My Chemical Romance. They were able to snatch producer Rob Cavallo, whose rap sheet was long and stacked, producing multiple Green Day albums, including American Idiot, multiple Goo Goo Dolls albums, Dave Matthews, Phil Collins, Shinedown, and many, many more.
0: A little throwback here, Fleetwood Mac's Say You Will, which is that album with uh, Peacemaker on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a later album. And mm-hmm. he did the musical Rent. How about it? That's yeah. That's pretty cool. That's pretty He's cool. He's
1: all over the place, and he obviously can do anything and everything. because he. I mean, that just the ones we listed are all over the place. Why don't you so go he, ahead
2: and take a little just, listen to an album. I like to call it Black Parade and then get back to us.
1: Maybe you've heard <laughs> of it. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you have. <laughs> so he was uh, really familiar with the band and loved their work. So he had listened to uh, Three Cheers and was really excited to be able to work with them and see what they were coming up with.
2: And he ends up going way above and beyond the call of a producer. We'll get into to it a little more later, but he kind of holds the band together at times throughout this process.
1: Yeah, 100%.
0: They essentially call him a band
2: member. Yeah, they call him their therapist yeah. at one point, too. <laughs> yes. The, we'll so we'll they cover brought, that more in detail, though.
1: <laughs> so they brought a bunch of producers in, and it, everyone kind of listened to it, but Rob really liked their music. But he was also really drawn to Mama and thought that Mama was a super unique, super cool track. And so that's why they went with him because yep. the, he kind of saw this overarching vision of like, we're going to make some crazy shit and you're going to be along for the ride for it. And he was ready for it. And yeah. so they brought him in for it.
2: Like, I'm not going to hold you back, but I'm going to, I'm going to,
1: I'm all in. Yeah. You don't find it very often. And obviously, when the, when it matches up perfectly, when the stars align, you get an album like The Black Parade. Yeah. It's great. So, the next thing that they needed to do was find a place to record. Craig Aronson and Reprise were basically letting them do what they want, where they wanted. And that's what they did for Three Cheers. And look how that turned out.
2: And they did it for Three Cheers kind of hesitantly. Like, they just, they were like, oh, we'll just let them do whatever they want, see what happens. And then what they came up with, they were not sure about. But then look how well it did they're like all right yeah.
1: fuck it did they it blew itself up that in a good
0: way <laughs> yeah we'll let them do whatever they yeah, want and it's... just hope for the best and... i mean they were terrified of what they were wanted to do with like the image and everything too and it
1: worked it worked perfectly yeah so they basically just gave them free reign go do what you want here's your budget good luck and again look what came <laughs> out of it so go make like us be money. A lady <laughs> so in April 2006, just a few months after they got off the road, they headed I think they got off the road in December 2005, just just for reference. So 4 months ago.
0: 14 years ago. Yeah. God, that
1: hurts. It (laughs) hurts. Relative to now, (laughs) it hurts. It hurts. So they (laughs) headed to Los Angeles to record. They rented out an old mansion called the Paramore that was owned by an oil heiress and her husband, her actor husband, in the early 1920s, which would become supposedly haunted after the couple split and the woman supposedly allegedly drove her car (laughs) off a cliff. Uh, on her own, allegedly. Allegedly. (laughs) It was then used as a troubled women's home and a nunnery. It was over 20,000 square feet and would be the perfect studio and apartment for the band. The entire band, as well as Rob, lived on the premise so that they could record whenever, usually playing and recording from late morning until late into the night, like 3 a.m. late.
2: Yeah, this, and this building had already gone through an entire life and death cycle pretty much because it closed after being a nunnery and kind of went to disrepair and started getting decrepit, and then somebody bought it and completely re- refurbished it. And it is beautiful as shit, but kind of spooky. Pretty spooky. Like,
0: it's, it's pretty spooky. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, very nice Gerard though, had stories about doors closing and... Uh, Geez, cold like constantly cold in the yeah, house. Mm-hmm. Like he they bought space heaters for the house because it was constantly cold. And like he said that he filled a bathtub and when he went to go get in it it was freezing cold. Dass eerie. Yeah. It was early weird little story. Yeah. Papa Roach recorded it in there too. Turn on the cold mm-hmm. water problem. Oh, it's okay, I guess. Probably did turn on the cool water. <laughs> he said faucets were turned on too by themselves.
1: Yeah, no, they, they were pretty freaked out. All of them were pretty scared yeah, to stay in there, and, but they didn't. Yes. You know, you can't have a good album if you don't record in a haunted house, I've heard. A little suffering. You gotta have suffering. Well, that's what I gotta, you gotta do. bleed for your art. The members of the band dealt with the recording process in their own ways. Frank, Ray, and Bob handled it well. They wrote their parts and worked together to come up with new stuff. Gerard did the same, but this was his first time writing without any alcohol to help him get into his head, so he had to learn how to do it sober. To do this, he forced himself to completely live in the writing process all the time. He became obsessed with death and destruction, to the point where he had a big poster on his wall that had words like cancer and other song titles on it, as well as some concept art for his visions. He also began experiencing night terrors while he was in the Paramore, and that inspired the song Sleep. The intro part, where it's just speaking, was based directly on Gerard's real life experience.
2: Everyone kind of went a little kooky writing this album. They realized they had that in order to make something genuine, the only way they could do that was to break themselves down and. Ripped themselves open pretty much in every way, but other than literally. And Gerard did this by just immersing himself in the idea of death, even to the point where he said that at one point he was playing Passion of the Christ just on repeat with no sound, just playing that movie over and <sighs> over. <laughs>
1: just, yeah, on in the background. What a
2: fucking nightmare. God, that's so scary. That's
1: terrible. So scary. scary. Huh. Um, but even, Ger- yeah, even Gerard's frightening approach to this album paled in comparison to Mikey. Who was still struggling from after the tour He was struggling while he was on tour Because he was on tour And then he was struggling off tour Because he was off tour not, that's not a good place to vicious be Vicious cycle <laughs> Vicious vicious yeah, yeah, yeah grass is always greener as they say So he was drinking all day long And continuing to abuse his medication Pair that with the fact that they really couldn't Leave the grounds as it was secluded From the rest of the city And they were working so much on the album That they really couldn't leave They, they were working all day long They couldn't really leave the premise And so it really kind of created Like a cabin fever Stanley Hotel vibe
2: well, there were a few times when they were, were uh, I think it was Frank said that he brought up the idea of having a place that they could go to get away from there every once in a while because it was so heavy, and, but Ray didn't want them to leave. He wanted to suffer through it. He thought that they needed to to make it, you know, what it ends up yeah. being.
1: They couldn't allow themselves yeah. that, that saltless. Yep.
0: Mikey said he couldn't tell what color his room was, but there was a blue light bulb in that room so it was just always like glowing blue and he it creeped him out. He said he would there were nights where he'd wake up and be completely like dissociated with where he was at. He'd forget where he was at when he woke up and so he would go to Gerard's room and sleep on the floor because it scared the crap out of him. And like he couldn't <laughs> there were no there was no cell phone service out there and there was no like TV yeah, so they were completely they were disconnected from the outside world. So they he hated so it. So scary. Just,
1: and, and then yeah. just passion of the cr- – I mean, everyone's just so mad and oh, – well, It and only gets worse. It just nightmare. sounds like The Shining. Yeah, it
0: seriously does. It sounds
1: like The Shining. So scary. So Mikey kept getting more and more into uh, this cabin fever attitude, and to deal with it, he tried to lose himself in the booze and pills. They did leave the Paramore briefly to go play a show at South by Southwest. Uh, And here's a little inconsistency I found. So they started working on this album in April 2006. But all accounts that I found said they played the show at South by Southwest on March 17th, 2006. And the book says they left the Paramore to go play. However, I reached out to the author, Tom Bryant... And uh, to ask him what he thought, and he actually responded to us, which was a huge surprise what for us. Yeah, I really threw shit at the wall, and something <laughs> stuck. It was uh, We were very surprised. Ethan messaged me, and he's like, holy shit, Tom responded. And, <laughs> he just
0: responded. Yeah, so,
1: uh, so he said that he was quoting Craig Aronson when he wrote that part, and he, too, thought the timing was a little weird. And he said his best guess was that they went to South by Southwest when they were actually in pre-production and not when they were actually recording. He said that he thought that uh, like he thought that they wouldn't leave when they were actually recording. So he thought that they did it when they were pre-production and they were probably still living at Oakwood apartments where they lived during the recording of Three Cheers and not when they were living at the Paramore. So from the bottom of our hearts, Tom, if you're somehow listening to this, Thank you so much for getting back to us that we really genuinely appreciate it.
2: Yeah, huge shout out to Tom, not only for being so helpful, but so quick, pretty pretty quick response.
1: Yeah, it was the next day. Yeah. Messaged him one day and he responded to the next.
2: And, you know, while we may have a shitty sense of humor, I promise you, Tony will leave no stone unturned. <laughs> we will give you the most yeah. accurate account we possibly can if you can stick with we'll it. We'll find
1: everything. I got to put this journalism to yeah. Greece to use somehow, so. <laughs>
0: And don't worry, Tom, if you are listening, I am reading your book for next episode because mine w- did not delve any further past yeah, this Yeah, we don't episode. want to rub Tom the wrong way here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. About- we don't need him to know. Yeah. No. He did the most thorough job. Yeah, his book, I'm. T- we're telling you, his book is incredibly good. His book it's is so way enjoyable. more thorough than what we're talking about. So. He actually
0: wrote two books, too, didn't he? There was another one. Uh, it's really? the same book. Can't it's can't the UK it
1: version. Mm. Oh, that's what
0: it was. Yeah. I saw
1: it, but I didn't know the difference. Yep, same book, just for the UK, not for the US. So. Just the... D- yeah. Just all the all the OR words have a U in front of them or behind yes. them. I'm seeing the difference, man. <laughs> so, uh, so playing this show and then going back and getting to the Paramore or wherever they were put Mikey over the edge, much like the breakdown Gerard had had while on the road. Mikey thought, much like Gerard thought, that he was going to kill himself, but he was more vocal about it or at the very least he was worse at hiding it, which helped the rest of the band help him. They decided the best option was to halt production on the album and get Mikey the help he needed. They sent Mikey off with a lawyer friend. I'm guessing it's Stacy Fass. Yes. that's how I would pronounce yeah. that. Yeah. yeah,
0: Stacey Fass. Uh, they referred, her, referred to her in my book as the lawyer and den mother. So apparently she was pretty um, pretty good oversight over everyone. Yeah, I think that they were pretty close yeah. with her. Like they were uh, all friends.
2: When we... Uh, I'll just, you know, a little tease into later in the episode when we get into The Heavy Room, they said the only people that were not in the band that were ever allowed in there were Stacy and um, Rob. Rob.
1: Yep. Wow. The Heavy Room, it's got a fitting name. We'll yeah. keep with that. It's
2: an interesting yeah. concept.
1: <laughs> I kind of yeah. like it. Horrifying concept. <laughs> so while, the, uh, while this album was good for Mikey on the whole, who did get himself clean and sober during this time, it basically killed the momentum of the album. Everyone hit a wall since Mikey was gone and couldn't write or record anything. And I personally love that this happened. Not that Mikey had to go get help or that the momentum on the album stopped, but even though Mikey wasn't the most musically talented person in the band, the whole band was kind of lost without him. They were so close and tight-knit that any disruption to the process kind of brought this whole system... like. He was a cog in the machine, an essential cog. Yeah, uh, it's great. And even One though he's a hype oil, guy, if anything, he's a little cheerleader, man. Yeah, he is. Mikey fucking way. So even though yeah. I love it, some of the members of the band were less stoked that he was gone.
2: Ray was initially <laughs> upset. Some of the with people Mikey. involved, like monetarily and artistically. <laughs> yeah, and, like, yeah, yeah, they did
0: yeah, like that it. That needed, yeah. th- that were on a roll right Oh, you mean <laughs> the
1: other parts of the machine that was now stopped? Yeah, yeah. they were. <laughs> Yes. They were less than happy. The gears well, grinding upset. now. Yes. Um, yeah. The man more than most upset was, uh, or the man most upset more, th- the man upset more than most was That's Ray. Good. That's Here good. Here we go. I found it. I found That's it. That's good. You got, I it. got it. We're keeping that whole part in.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: Ray was initially upset with Mikey leaving because it stopped the album. And while he knew that it was a, necess- a necessary move to save Mikey, he didn't love halting production. Again, he didn't even want to leave the premise because he thought that they needed to like hang out in this gloom and doom attitude and stuff. And so now they literally had to sit in, with- in it but couldn't do anything. So yeah. he didn't like it. Which, the only it's song rough. that. The only song that they made any progress on, um, for the most part, while Mikey was gone, was "House of Wolves," the song that Frank was writing.
2: But they did start working on another song that we'll we'll talk about later. But I did not know that it was mostly about Mikey.
1: Yes, yes, no. yes, it was. <laughs> Strap in. Uh, not in so, a bad well, way.
2: We make that sound like so ominous. It's yeah. <laughs> not so, bad.
1: It's good. So. Uh, this, this, this song, House of Wolves, gave some life to the album that seemed dead in the water at the moment. In all, Mikey was gone for a couple weeks, and when things, when he came back, things were luckily were progressing. But since there wasn't much writing or recording going on without their bassist, the tensions grew higher and product- productivity sunk even lower. They were simply waking up to buy time until they could sleep again. To try and smooth the tension over and ensure that the album was exactly what they wanted it to be, they designated one of the rooms in the house to be called and to be dubbed the heavy room.
0: like. thought that was going to be a, like a lot nightmare more to me.
1: boomy than it was. <laughs> That's no, funny. yeah, it
2: didn't make any noise <laughs> at all. <laughs> <laughs>
1: just a... No, you made a <laughs> well, little... It just quickly peaked, yeah. It's fine. D- d- <laughs> I can go grab my drum if you want. Um, so they would go into this heavy room, either all together or in smaller groups, whenever anyone had any issues with anyone else. And they didn't just go in there for things related to music or the recording process. If they had any issues with anything about anyone, they would take it to the heavy room. This would help them through the entire process. They would talk about things they didn't like, where the album was going, or specific parts that were being played, uh, anything like that. And this helped them be unwavering in what they wanted and helped them grow closer and overcome some obstacles that would have broken up other bands. They also made sure to keep the hard topics in the heavy room and be civil while they were in there and be civil and not talk about the stuff when they were out of there.
2: This sounds so daunting and honestly like the worst thing in the world but it's so vital to this album it's so easy to let something you don't necessarily like just kind of slide because you don't want to Mm -hmm. upset someone else and you know or hurt someone's pride or something so just being this brutally honest and genuine it really shows in the album but man I I don't think I could do it that that well because they were saying that anything you were thinking you had to say in there you couldn't pull any punches and they had, uh, had Rob in there, and they said he was basically, like, the mediator of these meetings. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Sounds pretty They said intense. there were points. Like, they weren't just, like, obviously, Tony said, like, they were, like, dumping themselves out, too. Like, they were putting themselves out there. Like, anything, like, any stories, good or bad about themselves, they would talk about if they thought about it, too. Mm-hmm. Like, it was just anything and everything yeah. it would that sounds they would break down
1: all their own insecurities <laughs> as well as their other stuff so
0: yeah exactly just like flaws they could think of about themselves they would say it was just yeah,
1: yeah.
0: No, I, I I'll, like keep it. A, I'll keep bottling i like i like the idea i just it would take some warming up to be able to do something like that oh yeah <laughs>
1: maybe maybe yeah. spending two years on a in a small van. Yeah, would help get to that could That, point, that could probably do it. That
2: could bleed up a little to that point.
1: I would think that that might do it, but yeah. <laughs> you're gonna be so, okay, man. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> what did you I don't eat? know. You're, you're gonna be fine.
2: We only got like 20 more pages. Let's keep. Let's keep pushing. Yeah, hey, that's a little bit of a joke. It's not that long. <laughs> so,
0: yeah, it's only seven. Stop!
2: Everyone,
1: just <laughs> stop. <laughs> Uh, But luckily, everything would change one early morning a couple weeks after Mikey left. Gerard was really thinking about Mikey, and he heard Ray messing around with the guitar part uh, by himself. And this was literally, I think this was at like 4 in the morning. It was super early in the morning, or I guess in their case, it was probably super late at night. They just hadn't gone to bed yet. So Gerard went to go listen to Ray play and said the part that Ray was playing was, quote, the saddest music in the world.
2: And that ended up being the working title for a little while.
1: I don't think it's that sad. If I'm being honest, I think it's very optimistic. I say it's yeah, no, it's, very optimistic. Yeah, wait
2: till
0: you fucking hear
2: which. Maybe one it the turns initial
0: in. riff, if you heard it, maybe the initial riff without voices on it would sound different. Maybe,
1: maybe, and and things also change as time goes on. So it may have started out sad, and when they realized what it was about, they they
2: optimized it a little really- bit. This is another one that gets my gourd
1: going. Pretty uplifting. (laughs) So Gerard loved the song, loved the guitar part that he was doing, and started thinking of lyrics for it. And he found out that the lyrics that were coming to him, the easiest, were the lyrics about his brother. Uh, So this song was an anthem for his brother, who decided to put the band on the back burner to take care of himself. It was sad and yet so uplifting. They were all around loving the sound, and when the band ran out for a minute, Gerard finished and recorded the chorus all on his own. It was loud, uplifting, in-your-face, and had a sound that superseded just Mikey and was now an anthem for the entire band. That song would become the album's closing track, Famous Last Words. No, I know that I can make you stay. You can only sing that through gritted teeth. I don't know if you know that. Um, so yes, that, so this song would become famous last words. Uh, Ray was so inspired when he woke up in the morning after he heard it, he, he was trying to write like a solo for it and just couldn't come up with anything. So he went to bed, woke up, immediately grabbed it. Like he woke up from a sleep and was like, I got it. I got to put this up, down. grabbed his guitar and played a solo, which became the solo in the song. Got
2: cut to Gosh. Ray on his knees, wailing his heart out in the sand. Uh. In the video.
1: Yeah, flames Still blowing ahead. around him so epic <sighs> can't
0: the first lyrics that gerard wrote, wrote to the song were the but where's your heart but where's your heart line yeah it
1: makes it, i mean yeah. when you know that it's about mikey so obviously you, yeah sorry.
0: and i think it started as angry yeah, too that when almost started that writing. doesn't seem yeah. super
2: nice maybe yeah
0: yeah yeah it definitely seems questioning of mikey but yeah it turned into something very. Difficult. I like thing.
1: it, yeah, because well, and it, it it is like I think he wrote it to be critical. He's like, dude, this is like this yeah, he is wrote the it band. He's angry, but then he's like, uh, and then he like then he wrote the chorus is from Mikey's perspective. Like, I'm not afraid to keep on mm-hmm. living. You know, I'm not afraid to walk this world. A like, I can't to take care of myself. Exactly. It's like, oh, whoa oh, wait, switch oh. the flip, flip <laughs> switch there, my guy. Yeah, flip, flip the switch. I
2: can't, I can't handle. Did you say flip the switch. Flip the script. Everything's too deep. Everything's it's too flipped. deep.
1: Uh, so Gerard found solace in the song as during the writing of it and another song The Five of Us Are Dying he broke up with oh by the way after he wrote this he found out that the reason they couldn't do anything was because Mikey was like he 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 was so upset about Mikey that he couldn't do anything. So when he wrote Famous Last Words that like opened the floodgates to be able to write whatever like it, everything just kinda of started working again once. Had to they, get
2: something like, out, a blackout. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was
1: he was emotionally constipated, if you will. <laughs> no You're absolutely yeah.
2: Think yeah. Uh huh. So
1: uh yeah. And uh, if I may, famous last words was the um I don't know. Medication I don't know medication for diarrhea. <laughs> that fell apart. How about like? How about like a diuretic? Emodium. Uh, Emodium. Yeah. Yeah, man.
2: No, that that make that makes you stop mm. having diarrhea.
1: I was gonna say Trademark. Gas X, but X-Lax. that's not X-Lax. it. x lax x lax Famous last words <laughs> was the X I'm glad the band. we spent
2: so much time. <laughs> it's important. Yeah, maybe I'm like a bottle of, bottle of orange juice. Import-
1: <laughs> this is why I don't work for a genuine news company. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, man. We're glad you joined.
2: Yeah. You
0: like <laughs> talking about medication. For
1: so, pooping. so Gerard found solace in the song as during the writing of it and another, The Five of Us Are Dying, he broke up with his long term girlfriend of six years. He realized in the lyrics of Famous Last Words, it was about speaking in living your life to the fullest, and realized that he was holding her back, and vice versa. So he decided to end it, and this caused him a ton of pain. But six, he realized
0: six-year relationship, six-year
1: relationship, said they were pretty Ooh. much married. <laughs> I've- That's a yeah. doozy. And so he decided to end it, and it caused him a lot of pain. But it was necessary, and I think he partially did it. And this is me. This is this is an Anton Ryder hot take. I think he partially did it to add some pain to himself to keep her. like he was just like I got to like you know it's the, it's time I'm already bombed like I have been thinking about that I'm just going to do it and you know and then you
0: need a little extra hurt to feel just it. just need yeah. to rip the
1: bandaid off. Uh, the um I think the Taylor Swift approach is what some people call it.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's and it's working for her and it, it worked works for, for him. Works, works for, for her for very him, well, works for so, her, yeah. so yeah.
1: All around, yeah. really. So if you if you really need to write a best selling album, go break up with uh, someone in your relationship. Um. So, I'm gonna kick my kid out. Of oh this. my god! <laughs> <laughs> think that that's
0: he's only five. He he's he's almost four. I think that's so just, it'll be fine. I can
1: go to prison.
0: I no, it'll different I, I don't. Know. I'll just put him out with the goats. It'll sure. be fine. We'll play his yeah, last words
2: at
1: your funeral. <laughs> we just said <laughs> well, man. I'm not afraid to keep on living. Oh, man. God, he man. also so he also loved to feel uh, a dirty way Gerard did like Austin said playing Passion of the Christ on repeat to say upset, um, and no one really came to check on the guys minus Craig Aronson and he only did it a couple times which I love to imagine like. Craig walking in with like the four pack holder of coffees from Starbucks, and he's like, Hey guys, hope everything's doing well. And like, Passion of the Christ is like, you're just seeing like the <laughs> th- crown of thorns shoved on Jesus' All the head. The lights are off, the yeah. sound is off.
0: <laughs> like, Everyone's in their own rooms by themselves. Gerard is just like, like No in one the is pool talking to you. Like,
1: see how long you can stay underwater. And...
2: Yeah, which is something <laughs> That actually did. happened. Yeah. Yep, that is something oh, he said good. he would
1: do big cancer poster written on the wall and, and and Rob's just sitting at the board it's 5 in the afternoon and he's like I don't I don't know what's going on here I've been just here. sitting here Well really looks
0: like you guys are out. writing a good yeah, album like, see you next yeah, month yeah, Craig
1: had to be like his, <laughs> he had to be so nervous at that point like what what are we going How it <laughs> does
2: seem like such a chipper guy like you said like he uh there, yeah. there's a little clip of him in life on the murder scene when they're demoing disenchanted in the back of the bus and he like listens to it and he is just freaking out he's like that sounds incredible guys Such oh my god that's incredible
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh also r.i.p did oh, he discover man. he passed away
0: mm-hmm. yeah he yeah. passed away he had that cancer sucks. 2014 oh, bummer 2014 yeah, yeah. Six years. And, I mean, it's the man that gave us My Chemical yeah. Romance, Avenged Sevenfold, The Use, Taking Back Sunday, Mastodon, Against Me, and he even signed Serge Tankian as a solo artist from System of oh, a Now. Yeah, okay. So... Yeah, rest in peace. I liked Empty (laughs) Walls, man. Leave me alone. Bring the ammunition. I loved you yesterday before
1: you killed my family. Just just, just Craig just seeing all that and then just, like, setting the coffee down. He's like, I'll come check on you guys in two weeks. Yeah, I'll be be back
2: (laughs) next month. See ya.
1: (laughs) Oh, God. I'm um, not going to
2: tell anyone about this meeting. I Brothers. I
1: don't want a therapist to show <laughs> up. Uh, but <laughs> as scary and as daunting as what we just described uh, as that sounds, the band was doing fairly well, I would say. Gerard was coming up with good stuff. Frank and Ray were getting some pretty incredible parts, and even Bob was settling into his role as a creator and not just a player, coming up with his own creative parts as well. And on top of the four guys, Rob Cavallo was showing his influence as well. He actually came up with the piano part on Cancer after Gerard sang him the melody.
2: And he also will write a very important piano part, but I'm sure Tony is going to tell you all about that shortly.
0: You Did he write for Elise?
2: What? Hmm. <laughs>
0: That's Beethoven. <laughs> oh, there there it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 All
2: right. Actually, you're, you have a fair point. I will rephrase my sentence. He writes a piece that is very important to my chemical romance, not... Oh. Sorry for the
1: misunderstanding. I think it's good as super... I thought he's a time traveler. I think it supersedes my chemical romance. No,
2: I yeah, I think you're right, too. I think yeah. if Actually, any... I take it back. Fuck off, Ethan. Fuck yeah. you, and fuck it. <laughs> fuck it.
1: You know, maybe I should have stayed on topic. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> I think that if you go up to any piano and play that part, I think anyone's like, My company. Anyone. Mica,
2: yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, and we haven't you even know. said what part it is, but you mm-hmm. already know. You can guess. You, can you guess. already know. <laughs> I didn't realize until I kind of listened to, like, or read this book and stuff, I didn't realize how much piano was actually in this album. Yeah. Which is There's awesome. So many. It's 11 I notes. I believe
2: they said at the end of this, uh, how many tracks was the entire album?
1: Fourteen, including the hidden track.
2: No, uh, like recording. It was like hundred and thirty something, like oh. individual tracks. Oh, oh, more like stems. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. We'll
1: get into it. We'll get into it in a little bit. Because yeah. yeah, we'll we'll, we'll get some crazy. Ahead of, we're yeah. getting ahead of ourselves. Our so <laughs> yep. Gerard started singing on the piano, or started singing at the piano with Rob. Like he grabbed Rob and was just like, "Rob, come here and sit," and started singing "Cancer." And then Rob just started playing what came to his head, and that part is the final part you hear on the track. They wrote it in about 10 minutes, and then Bob came in to add his really simple drum part, and then Ray actually played the bass on the song.
2: And Ray said he'd been working for a while trying to come up with a fitting guitar part to cancer, and he just couldn't do it, and eventually he was like, I think it needs to be piano, and they told Robin
1: just 10 minutes later, here they had it. <laughs> The perfect thing. And that's something that I really like as well is like not everyone played on every track. And that makes it like it didn't feel like it was necessary that everyone play on everything. That's still the band. Yeah. Yeah. The band is not the band is what they come up with and not the members all playing. That sounds really bad. That's fucking right. I know exactly what you mean. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So he also write helped write uh, the five of us are dying. The original thought was to have the song start with the sound of a parade, then fade into music. It was originally going to have be the intro to the entire album, and Rob, Rob thought of a good idea that would be a piano playing in the parade. So he showed the band a piano part he was coming up with. Then he left for vacation, and when he returned, he came back to a very different song, which now took on a new name called Welcome to the Black Parade. Woo! There it is. Woo! The band took the it. beginning part, uh, that Rob came up with and altered it and then tacked it onto the beginning of the song.
2: And they did this without telling him. And he came back from vacation and they're like, Rob, we did something to that intro you made. Don't be mad. And he was like, I really like that. What did you guys do? And then he hears it and that's all it takes. <laughs> so, yeah. He's like, I, <laughs> it's like all right, yep. there <laughs> it <job>. is. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah.
1: And you can actually hear the five of us are dying. If you get the black parade, uh, like, uh, uh, deluxe edition or if you get the 10 year anniversary uh it has that song on it it's the, the 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 song itself sounds very similar the piano part's very different so they basically just took like inspiration from rob's part to build yeah. out the that the part that they did but it was still the rest of the song was the same so they kind of changed around like yeah we we knew they knew they were going to use a piano but then they changed it to the part that they actually wanted to so to put on there they did. it's
2: i'm so glad i'm so, so glad they did <laughs>
1: So good. Um, So Ray then tried to add his guitar solo to the song, but instead of tracking something new, Rob had an idea to take an old demo. He liked to record everything, so he took an old demo that he had of Ray playing, and it was just a rough solo track that he recorded on a standard SM58 mic, much like the mic I'm using right now, and popped it into the song, and it was perfect.
2: uh, It's It's incredible because it is so perfect. It fits so goddamn well, and it was not written for this song. It literally it lines worked. up, like, it works with the lyrics, like, in tandem.
1: Yeah, not written for the, yeah, like Austin said, not written for the song. It's <laughs> Written as a works. part that he played, and it is literally perfect for the song. I love it. What an ear, what an ear on Rob. <sighs>
2: Get frustrated what with, I uh, get
1: frustrated with other people's talent and their success. Yeah, good, it's for good for them. Aggravating. <laughs> good for them. Where do so, they get it? How do I get some? Yeah, how do I get a little bit of it? So Ray and the band also continued to try and push the envelope with what they could do. They really loved to try and create the most outlandish parts for songs that they could. Adding a swing beat to House of Wolves, the... Was...
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> I I I draw myself to the drums and that's the drum part for <laughs> it. All right? I was right.
2: saying you're wrong. All right, I'm idiot. Just expanding. Yeah, okay. You, I, I having fun. It. Just okay. put our
1: parts just put our parts over top of each other and it'll sound like the song. It's going to be fun. Yeah, sound good. That's a good idea. Yeah. Thank you. That's Thank you. Really Thank you. Thank you. Um, so so they also added a big tuba to the bridge of dead. And then maybe the most bizarre thing that they did and the coolest thing that they did was get singer and actress Liza Minnelli to sing on the song <laughs> that convinced them to write the wild album in the first place, Mama. It makes True. no fucking sense. <laughs> I it's found serious. a reason for it. It
2: would not be the same without
1: How it. How you even think about that? Oh, is... we, we're going to cover yeah, it I, I got, the, I, got just... I got a reason here. I got a reason
0: I okay. think we talk about yes, it. Yes, we do. <laughs> I think it's yeah, in the
1: I think, outline. I think, yeah, we all have a reason because it's in yeah, the it's script. It
0: is. It's all written here. We're going to read it to you. <laughs> I hope Spoiler, you enjoy it. off the top of our head.
1: <laughs> so Gerard was trying to sing in a voice uh, that sounded like a woman to try and play the part of Mother War and said he couldn't do it. It kind of sounded cartoonish, that kind of thing. And so Rob kind of asked, like, well, what, what what are you going for? And he's like, oh, I'm trying to go for, like, an Audrey Hepburn part or, or Audrey Hepburn's daughter. Uh, like someone like Judy Liza Garland Minnelli. is who he, he, is who you were. Oh yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, he's trying to sound Hepburn. like Judy Garland. <laughs> yeah, not Audrey Hepburn. I was thinking back to our hint in the beginning. He of does the, yeah. like Audrey Hepburn and d Hey guys, right. yeah, did you know, know that? Murray, um, yeah. Yeah. Did <laughs> you know that Judy Garland
0: is Liza Minnelli's mom?
2: Yeah, Unreal. we uh, yeah, kind the, of covered that in this. Uh, in that what Tony just oh, said. I didn't see yeah. it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Judy Garland's daughter. I Liza can't read. I or listen, but I did say Audrey Hepburn. So
2: um. I corrected the name, but he still, you know, still got the information out there. Yeah, <laughs> kill me. It's fine. It's
1: really fine. It's really fine. Um, so yeah, they said, well, maybe like you know, Liza Minnelli should do it. Whatever. And so, kind of as a joke, though. Really, a lot as a joke. Yeah. Like that would. Yeah, it was kind of like not a, like
2: they wouldn't want it, but just like that'll never fucking yeah. happen.
1: Exactly. Yeah, like. It's like trying to get Liza Minnelli on your album. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it's like, yeah. So, but luckily, uh, Cavello just had connections, and so he got his phone out, and I think it was another guy as well, and I can't remember the other guy's name, which I'm kind of embarrassed about, but it was someone else who helped on the album. Uh, they kind of got their phone out, made a phone call, and literally minutes later, he let the band know that Liza was going to do the album, God. or do the part for him. Let me make a actually 10-minute <laughs> call quick. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it was just like, yep, yeah, and, and he's just like, oh, I love Liza Minnelli, and then he got him. So or he got her. So she went to the studio, or she went. So she went to a studio in New York to do her parts, and the band and Rob talked to her through uh, a phone from Los Angeles on how to do it. And with that, they handed the album off to be mixed and mastered. They were all done.
2: As much as I love this whole song, that part makes it for me. It changes the whole atmosphere of the song it's so haunting and if it had just been gerard imitating judy garland it would not be the same in it at all
0: yeah definitely in my book it talked about how dead was heavily influenced by the alabama song that was in a movie called cabaret which liza Nellie actually sang the alabama song in and that's why gerard wanted her that's why it was explaining why they wanted her in it and um and um, oh, okay. the so Alabama song. If you, uh, you guys hate the Doors, but they did that song.
1: Who said that? Yeah, I don't even know no, where that came you
0: just, from. You guys said you didn't like them once, but uh, they do. They have a song called. What? A, <laughs> I don't think all right, that's dis- disregard that. Disregard yeah, that. It's just
2: like when you said we talked about that Bob Dylan song. That I promise you, we did. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> I listened.
0: It wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, they they were heavily influenced by the Alabama song. Which the door's covered, but they call it the whiskey song. Very good song. It's Mm uh...
1: yeah. How about that? How How about about it? it? Well,
2: you did expand even more than I expected. So I'll take. I retract my earlier comments. Appreciate
1: it. Um, So we obviously didn't talk about every song that was recorded on this album. Like I said, there are 14 songs, uh, and I think we talked about probably five, six, seven, maybe, maybe like ten. But so probably more than we even should have. Anyway, (laughs) come on, come on. So, uh, it's hard not to, yeah. It would have taken a whole lot. it wouldn't have been another uh, rumors album like episode. We would have talked about it I the kind entire of episode, done, but it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm kind of thinking, and you guys can talk about this. I kind of think we should do something on our Patreon of like us either listening through the album and talking about it and kind of where they came up with the inspiration for the songs, that kind of thing, or just do an episode like a bonus episode where it is. Us talking about the album all the way through I think that the first one would be cooler Because it wouldn't take that long And it'd be more off the cuff And it'd be more fun But we could easily do a bonus episode I'll I'll actually do either of
2: those Like whatever you guys want to do I'm just going to listen to
1: three shares by myself
0: But I'm not going to talk You're only going to see my facial reactions That's it (laughs)
1: Listening to a different album I
0: like that album better It means more to me
1: Well, Everyone's wrong once in a while That'll make great podcast content Um, Yeah, so I also like that. <laughs> God, you guys are idiots. Um, but every song that they did on this album had a meaning to it, and it, they put everything they had into every song. So it's not like any song means less to them, uh, but some songs mean more to them. If that makes sense, like everything, every song means a shitload to them. But you know, there are some that they worked way harder on. Because,
2: it's all gonna be to scale. It's all gonna be relative, baby.
1: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> fucking Okay, man. <laughs>
0: it's, it's so hot up here. Hold on. I'm sweating my fucking balls <laughs> off. I am I am, I am in just this closet. I just sweat everywhere.
1: I'm Singing,
2: surrounded like, by hoodies yeah. and blankets. I'm just surrounded I'm by about going blanket. To
1: get a blanket. I'm kind of Go wish it would
2: it. rain. Yeah, Tony's just in the middle so of the So happy for you. Still <laughs> sounds r-
1: great. Really cool. Um, so back to 2006, the band was out of the studio and had to get ready for everything that happened after recording. First came a music video for their first single, Welcome to the Black Parade. They decided that when they went out on tour, they were going to be called the Black Parade and not My Chemical Romance. They were also going to wear costumes and look the part of a marching band, but in MCR fashion. They got Oscar-winning costume designer Colleen Atwood, who designed for costumes for movies like Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, Sweeney Todd, Alice in Wonderland, and Chicago. He, they also she also did uh, Nine, which is like that claymation animated yeah. movie. I don't, it's not Birdie claymation. Movie. Yeah, but it's yep. which I thought it was really interesting that she did costume design for that. But I guess it makes sense. Yeah, that makes uh, really cool too. They also, so they came up with a blackened version of Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, and put to put the cherry on top. Gerard cut his hair from the long black stuffy black hair he had for the three cheers and dyed it bright white. So he had short, bright white hair. And I think this is his coolest look he's ever going to pull
2: off. Oh, it's so good. It looks so good. And the whole thing was to signify his, you know, new leaf into being a sober, healthy kind of person, but it was also supposed to put him into the part of the patient or someone Mm -hmm. who was very ill. How fucking profound is that? A method
0: actor at heart. Yeah.
1: Yeah. He kind of wanted to look like a a cancer patient or a a dying patient, so he, yeah, kind of.
0: The guy that played The Patient was in some Harrison Ford movie that I've never heard of. (coughs) Yeah. Okay.
1: Wow. I assume you're talking about this music video we're about to get into. Yeah, we're about to broach that subject. Yeah. Yeah. So Warner Brothers by now had heard the album, and having the exact opposite problem from the last album, everyone heard too many singles and didn't know which one to go with first. So if you'll remember... (laughs) on Three Cheers, they couldn't really pick out one specific single, but now they thought every song could be a single. Yeah. The one they eventually agreed on, and a big thanks to that was from Craig Aronson, who said you should go with this one, was Welcome to the Black Parade. And so that's the-
2: so crazy to me. That Because this, this song does give me kind of like a obviously not to the extreme of Bohemian Rhapsody, but the way it starts is so weird. Like, Neat. it does yeah. not seem like it would sell well, and it it does. Well. He's well, absolutely and, right.
1: And the fact that they like you had like teenagers on the album is a really big one. Like a very obviously pop song. Yeah, a lot of people said that that should be the first single. Yeah, the, uh, and and I record, I would but. say even like famous last words is like just a straightforward rock song so rock the fact that roll, they were so the fact that they went with like welcome to the black parade it was yeah like awesome it was so out of left field and it took some convincing but it really sold the band because i think it was just unique enough but just also catchy enough that yep. it was like this is what we're about now it's and really it, a perfect sold. story Yeah, i remember so.
0: just sitting in my room listening to it on repeat so it definitely worked I got hooked immediately. So I listened to it on repeat like six times
1: this morning. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, like right now I've listened, yeah. This album is still listenable today. So the band managed to get Sam Bayer, who was the director of Nirvana's Smells Like Teen Spirit, as well as a lot of Green Day videos. Smashing Pumpkins, and literally hundreds more. This dude has one of the most impressive resumes of anyone we've talked about so far. He does look like a divorced alcoholic father, <laughs> but that doesn't matter. It okay. doesn't matter. The talent is still of us there. will in our day. <laughs> yes, we're all slowly getting there. So the band told Sam their vision, and he brought it to life. There's a short documentary about the making of the video, which is actually on our website if you want to go watch it. It's super interesting, really breaks it down, and you can see exactly what Sam looks like. So the thought <laughs> of the song and the really, video. You're really leaning into Sam. <laughs> so he's very talented. He's very talented. That's all I'll say. He's a very talented man. <laughs> he sits in the video. He sits on his tour bus just chain-smoking <laughs> and acting like he is so mad that he's getting this incredible opportunity. But he's the that. life I want to yeah. live. <laughs> just.
2: I want to be pissed off about all the publicity I have to deal with. <laughs> he's wearing an
1: olive green wife beater and just, I imagine it's just from the smoke. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it's olive green. <laughs> oh it's actually God. bright green it when he got white. it. It was white. Well, yeah. It was white. <laughs> yeah, so But it's a very good video He's very talented I'm not, den- I'm not a talented man. discounting <laughs> that <laughs> So the thought of the song In the video is that death comes For everyone in their own way So in the way the patient A young man dying of cancer sees death coming Is in the form of a parade Remembering the parade he went to As a young boy with his father
2: the, the whole idea is Gerard says he believes that death comes for all of us in one form or another, whether that is a black sedan, a dude on a bike or a girl. it comes for us all is what he said and and so the whole idea was that this is this guy's most cherished memory, so it's a, per, a parade basically taking him into
0: the, the and outside. the guy that played the patient yeah. was in a movie with Harrison Ford as a child actor <laughs> <laughs> <That's> oh <true. laughs> yeah, that is true. Is it yeah. true?
1: There's one. There's yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think his it's, name was Lucas Haas. IMDb is uh, oh, did you guys look at? I, it yeah, up I on think the his break. name is Lucas sure.
0: Haas. I just memory me, oh, okay, me throwing that yeah. out there could be wrong. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. He does he does well in it. Um, and that's actually the whole kind of concept behind this concept album is like death coming for you and and kind of having to live in you know having these flashbacks on like what you did in your life and things like that and are people going to care when you're gone that kind of stuff and then uh famous last words is you kind of coming to terms with you dying and things like that so uh we're going to break it down more in our patreon uh so go check that out subscribe to our patreon if you want to um patreon.com slash on five <laughs> check <laughs> uh, <laughs> but after they subtle, were done subtle, with, subtle. After they were done with the video it was uh, much more expensive than what mordner brothers and reprise were originally planning so they said that the band had to make a second music video and they had something like three hours to do it so what the band came up with was they took all the stuff from their welcome to the black parade video put it in a pile and then set it on fire
0: they or or just put oh, it in sorry. a big
1: pile they didn't really they just kind of trashed it and then put in like pyrotechnics and stuff like that and with that, they recorded the video for "Famous Last Words." There, are, like I said, there are some additional pyrotechnics, but it was all very low budget and very low budget, and was made basically just with use of the set that they already had. And it was a simple way to get rid of the props.
2: Seriously, let's talk about it because this album <laughs> or this this uh, video is like the polar opposite of "Welcome to the Black Parade." That's such a huge production, and like. Such a story behind the video itself and this is just let's light a bunch of shit on Man, fire. Let's play let's our get a instruments. bunch of dirt and yeah. Yeah. And just have a completely band focused performance and
1: Trash our trash our our costumes, everything like that, and just make it dirty. I feel yeah, I feel like they just grabbed three camera guys after the Welcome to the Black Braid video was done. They're like, Hey, can you stay for another three hours and we'll pay for your dinner or whatever? And, and there's just,
2: that part where fucking Ray takes his fucking gorgeous Gibson hollow body and just like shoves it like, neck first uh, into the ground. Like, I <laughs> sho- like, like curb no, Frank does that. Yeah, all Frank all. does it. fall yeah. Yeah.
1: Like curb stomps it into <laughs> the ground. So God brutal to watch. It's awesome. It's awesome. But I mean, it was nothing to mm-hmm. them, so good <laughs> <Yeah>. for them. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> um, so this music video was dangerous, though, dealing with fire. Bob had to have flame-retardant jelly on his back because the flames were so intense, and he m- still managed to get third-degree burns on his leg. Those burns then became infected and actually gave him a staph infection, which spread to his face and his brain and almost killed him.
2: Very nearly killed him. <laughs> like the doctors said you could have. Very, you Did a could stick a
1: 10-inch needle obvious. in his yeah.
0: face. <laughs> And his calf looked like a guacamole. He said it looked like a guacamole by the time
1: he finally got it checked out. (laughs) (laughs) I hate it. I hate it. Yeah, he said that it didn't hurt very much, but he's like, it's pretty weird to know that you were close to death, especially working on this album.
2: Uh, Luckily, they had a little bit of downtime to kind of recruit before the tour started, though. Well, they also had to, like,
1: I think they had to take a couple shows off. Yeah, they were supposed of, to have a few yeah, he, They had a fill-in yeah, for and him, to him too. They had a
0: fill-in drummer for a one show, at least. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then
1: Gerard also hurt his ankle uh, while on set, while kind of just messing around with Frank and had to use a crutch for you a
0: while. Gerard after? just
1: faked it. He was just like, oh,
0: Bob, you're you're fine. Look, look, I hurt my ankle while we were recording, so you'll be fine. Your calf <laughs> is totally fine.
2: Oh, you have third-degree burns? I hurt yeah, my ankle. Yeah, look at my I ankle. So. I think he's <laughs> a
0: crutch. I, this is
2: totally real. But I what happened was, drudge. you could see Frank tackles him at one point, and apparently it bent his foot Ugh. backwards and tore some ligaments. You decide. Could, if he's could be real. 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 <laughs> Ugh, I,
1: don't, <laughs> I don't love that.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think it was real. Oh. It sucks.
1: Gross. Uh, but everyone luckily healed up um, with time. Time helped them do that. And the ba- the band was ready to go out on the road. On August twenty second, 2006, they played a show at the Hammersmith Palace in London. They started the show with an announcement saying that My Chemical Romance was unable to perform that night and there would be a replacement band in their place. Then a hospital gurney was wheeled out on stage as a vital sign monitor sound started to play. Then up popped Gerard in a hospital gown on the gurney, singing the opening lines to the end and jumping off the gurney, dropping his gown, and unveiling his black marching outfit. And thus, the Black Parade world tour was unofficially underway.
2: What a it, fucking moment! Because because <sighs> it's just him out there until the drums come in with the. Expect you, oh yeah, crap and, and then, then the it time, starts, and then the gosh. whole backdrop drops, so
1: and there's a
0: huge city, <sighs> <sighs> and they're all in their outfits, yeah. and so cool.
1: <laughs> freaking flames! Imagine
0: that roller coaster of a show, too, because you think they actually have not—they're—they're they're gone. Yeah, that they didn't come. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: well, and to be like, be the first to see it. Like, this is coming from a guy who's watched The Black Parade is Dead many times, <laughs> and I'm sure that uh, I'm sure Austin has seen as it well. Once. I'm sure Ethan. I did seen own it a at couple times. Yep, he did. <laughs> he has since lost it. If you're unaware. Yeah, I don't have it anymore. <laughs> but like seeing them in their outfits and, and all the publicity photos and stuff awesome. like that, like none of that was known before this happened.
2: This was a totally brand new... Yeah. There and was so, no indication of this.
1: Yeah, they kept it under wraps until this moment. So people in London got to see it for the very first time. And goddammit, it, it must have been incredible. I know. I <sighs> go back to a moment. Got oh. slight goosebumps, man. It's so cool. In all, they played 147 shows across North America, South America, Asia, Europe, Australia, skipping out on only Africa and Antarctica. For the tour, they welcomed piano player James DeWeese to help them uh, play. With a tour, or with a history of playing with the Get Up Kids and would go on to play with Newfound Glory, Biffy Clyro, and then he would also help out Frank on his solo projects as well as others. He was an awesome addition to the team, and he helped them take their sound over the top. Like I said, the Black Parade had like a lot of piano in it, and so they kind of needed a guy. This guy was the guy.
0: Imagine on Welcome to the Black Parade, there's like Ray was like, well, I could just play that on guitar. It'd be the same. (laughs) It wouldn't be the same. It would have been so so disappointing. (laughs) 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 Yeah,
2: Um, I actually saw at Riot Fest one year, uh it was it was uh, Frank Aero and James's band, I think it's called Death Spell. It was like mm-hmm. an electronic type thing where they both just had their like fucking computers up there and all their pedals and shit and yeah. it was kinda cool to be honest. But uh Fun. he also had a band a solo project called Reggie and the Full Effect, which played at a uh, local center in Atumwa like a couple months ago that my drummer went to and i guess there was like nobody there oh, that's Wish brilliant someone Itama, would have told so I'm me sure there was no one there <laughs> yeah sorry because I, I live, like, I live that, like
0: 30 huh? minutes away <laughs> i go to school in the Yeah, <laughs> it would have been nice yeah
1: ron dave <laughs> rendez- went i don't remember why i couldn't so after their initial show they headed back to the Reading Festival where they played before. I love the name the Reading Festival. The re- Reading is where it's at, uh, but I just think of it as like... <laughs> sitting reading books. It's, like it's like an reading, adult yeah, riff. Yeah. <laughs> it's very mature and everyone's <laughs> drinking green tea and stuff. It was not like that. It was not anything <laughs> like that. The band played after no, no. Slayer and the crowd. Uh, took some time to warm up, I guess. They booed and threw stuff at the band. And if you listen to our series on GNR... <laughs> You're familiar with a little thing called bottling, and bottling. if you haven't listened to it, you should. It's not great. It's our first series. We tried out, but it's pretty fun still. Um, bottling is when people piss into bottles and then throw it onto the stage, not putting any lids back on it. So it creates little uh, piss fueled. What records. a cordial and hospitable. Can't say that fucking word. <laughs> hospital hospitable
0: people. God, I got it. Got there you it. go. You fucking what?
1: <laughs> oh no! You fucking what? <laughs> this don't sound anything <laughs> Slayer. Hold on, a, hold on a second.
0: Everyone in the path of that bottle gets covered in piss. So if it comes from the back, oh yeah, no, there's it's,
1: piss everywhere. That's disgusting. It's a suicide mission. It's a, it's a suicide mission. That's <laughs> fine. <laughs> so they eventually won the crowd over, uh, same as they always had. They didn't shy away from the hateful crowd, instead leaning into them and kind of like being aggressive back, and that convinced the crowd that they were legit. Well, uh, obviously that, and they're totally bitching songs. Totally bitchin' songs.
2: He, they totally flipped this crowd, too. Uh, I'm, we're going to cover it a little bit more, but they have a real big problem with a paper there called the Daily Mail, and he basically gets everyone there to start chanting, fuck <laughs> the Daily Mail. After they were keen to, you know, throw bottles of piss at these people in the course of, what, an hour?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The enemy of the enemy is my friend, as they say. And, yeah, he got everyone to yell, uh, fuck the Daily Mail, which is pretty cool. So after the show, it was off to the races. They traveled to Philadelphia to perform on MTV, and this is where they truly saw how big they were. They saw a huge line, excited to see the band, who lined up almost a full day before the band was scheduled to go on. It was exciting and overwhelming. The person struggling the most was Bob, who, again, wasn't used to the limelight. Remember, he was a sound engineer who just sat in a little pit and ran sound, and now he was on stage in front of thousands of people, and a lot of people wanted his his photograph and his autograph. And he didn't like it so
0: much. He was not playing on. Darn. Really?
1: Yeah. And I think we talked about it in the last episode, but like he was always like the guy who would try to run the camera yeah. so that anytime the, the
0: camera got on yeah. him, he'd be like, get that out of my face.
1: Yes. Yeah, and it. now that he had to live in that world essentially 24 7. So he didn't yeah. love it. Um, so on top of all this, the band was starting to get harassed and labeled as emo. As Austin said, uh, fuck the Daily Mail. The Daily Mail even said that they were a deadly cult who loved to encourage self-harm, which couldn't be further from the truth. They would go on stage and say, you shouldn't hurt yourself, things like that. But Daily Mail just kind of lumped every band that was anything punk or anything like that as emo and that they were all these the suicide cult, that kind of thing. So the band was obviously upset with this and even got the crowd, like we said, uh, at reading to chant fuck the daily mail and this unfortunately wouldn't be the last time the uk newspaper would rear its ugly head a nice
0: little relief is that the guardian actually re- created a counterpiece opposing the daily mail and like talked about how um they were over generalizing my chemical mm-hmm. romance oh, and they, everything and they took yeah, some liberties it definitely yeah. took some liberties and it's kind of nice to see um for them for the most part most um
1: Oh, what do I want to say? There a lot of backlash against the, the article. But a
0: lot of uh, article writers, like uh, newspapers, were in favor of them. That's what I wanted to say.
2: Well, and The Guardian is like a pretty... Huge. Yeah. Yeah, pretty big paper. Yes. It,
1: yeah. Actually, fun little fact, Tom Bryant, the guy who wrote this book, is actually a writer at The Guardian now. Holy so.
0: crap. Oh. That's hey. awesome. How about that, go, Tom?
1: small world small little world uh yeah and our and, friend tom uh, our friend tom <laughs> yeah, we, we emailed him tom. he talked thank to you, us thank you tom yep. so uh actually if you and and to, they kind of doubled down like like we, we there was a decent amount of backlash against this uh, article and i think they even like spelled kurt cobain's name wrong in it like <laughs> yep. they really did not do <laughs> yep. well and then they said like after the fact they said this was a fair and balanced article and, like, it wasn't stuck overdone. stuck by it for a while. Yeah. A bold move, man. Huh, yeah. Bold move. Stuck by it too long, I'm going to yeah. say. Um, <laughs> yeah.
0: But for now. Oh, printing it was probably too. Double yeah. down when you <laughs>
1: should have folded. Yeah, man. Uh, you know when to hold it. Oh, no, <laughs> Rest in peace. I don't need this. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the band continued on. They were all excited to share their album that they put their hearts and souls into. And in late October, they finally got the chance. The black parade was released on October 24th, 2006. It was initially met with mixed results as it was so different from what the band had done before with both. I brought you my bullets and three cheers. Eventually though, It started to build, and people saw the album for the perfection that it is. And it would go on to chart number two in the U.S., and it also went triple platinum in the U.S., and to date has sold over 4 million copies. And that's not counting the literal hundreds of millions of streams across streaming platforms.
0: Though Welcome to the Black Parade YouTube video has 150 million views alone by itself. Mm. That's insane. That's yeah. not bad. That's pretty and good. And I'm piece. looking bad.
1: I'm looking on Spotify and uh, obviously you can't see all the streams for all the songs, but like Welcome to the Black Parade has 322 million, God. 322 million, Teenagers has 295 million, Famous Last Words has 134 million. I mean, good. yeah. Good. Yeah, uh, Mama has 72 million like wildly popular. I'm gonna say good for them. Yeah. So the album was now out for the world. And the band was ready to share it with the world. The tour officially began. So they've been playing uh, for quite a while on something that wasn't considered the, the, the world tour. So the, offic- the tour officially began on February twenty second, 2007. And would go for one year, two months, and 17 days. And this isn't including the dates I just mentioned that they already played starting in August. It was months of the same routine day to day. Wake up, spend the day preparing for a show go to the venue, perform the same set list every night, performing the Black Parade front to back, and then while Blood played the bonus track on the album, they would go backstage, change, and then come back out and play a nine-song encore of some of their older hits.
0: I'm not going to lie. Like, if I had bought tickets to go see them and they didn't play old songs, I'd be so upset. And, Ethan, yeah. I think they were fully aware, aware yeah. of
2: that. That They were aware that would happen because listen to this fucking encore. Hit it. I'm not Hit okay. Me. Me. Good song. Good it's not a fashion statement, it's a fucking death wish. Good song. Cemetery Drive. Yeah. Mm. The Ghost of You. Ooh. Give Give 'em Hell God, Kid. Thank you for the venom. Whoa. You know what they do to guys like us in prison? What? And
1: obviously Helena. Uh, they closed with That's Helena awesome. every night. Uh, listen to that. Just so oh, listen to that. God. Such yeah. a good, good line. Oh,
2: That's God. a lot of fucking songs. Didn't really know how to cater to make to play.
1: <laughs> Twenty three songs all together. That yeah, it's probably two hours. Sounds like a fucking yeah, it does. An hour Especially and a half. Especially
0: the vocal range on that is sounds terrible. Yeah. <laughs> I love it.
1: After the show, they would then go to their dressing rooms, clean up, get on a bus, and then either go to a hotel or an airport, depending on where they were going the next day. Then they'd sleep, wake up, and repeat. While it was fun for them and a dream come true to perform all around the world, it really began to wear on them. They would wake up and have no idea which city or even country they were in. They were driven to the arena that they were playing at and rarely see the cities they were in. They loved to spend time in the cities they were in and would spend the days trying to do that when they could, which over time became rarer and
0: rarer. I'm sure just trying to find time to sleep and then be able to do things in the city would be almost impossible with their schedule because you'd be so tired Mm -hmm. all the time. Yeah. Yeah, The fucking jet lag, Yeah.
1: I don't know how they didn't all get just so addicted to coke on this <laughs> yeah. tour, on this tour man just yeah, trying yeah. to stay away cuz like they would play and then when they were done playing they'd have like say a week off and they they would just like they would just go do press or they would then go and record like a new music video or they would there go was and no breaks yeah it was just straight touring and music stuff for 2 years and like working constantly. Yeah. I mean, yeah, if you if you look at when they start so they started everything in the beginning of 2006 and they didn't stop stuff until the middle of 2008. Yeah. And that's like that wears on you. I Oh yeah. I can't think of anything I've done for 2 years consistently. <laughs> like
2: I don't know nope. I don't know. <laughs> Let alone being just traveling constant. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, so through the tour, they would have plenty of supporting bands, including Taking Back Sunday, Rise Against, Funeral for a Friend, Circus Survive, Muse, and their old friends and old mentors Thursday. Who? Jeff Rickley was right. They got bigger. They got bigger. <laughs> They did it. <laughs> much, much bigger <laughs> than. <laughs> they made the shows as big and theatric as they could, having pyrotechnics, stage props, and large, extravagant backdrops. In all, they had seven semis taking their show their stuff from show to show, and four tour buses on top of that for the band and crew. That is a massive show.
0: I bet when they traveled, it looked like a freaking circus.
1: Yeah, yeah that's a concert. I'm trying we to. We
0: got a great big convoy. I think.
1: Obviously, like, the this show is bigger than any show that came to the theater I worked at. But I think the biggest truck I ever had was, like, six semis, I think. And it took us, like, six or seven. Like, we had to start. We had to go into work at, like, three or four in the morning to start to get ready for, like, a seven o'clock Holy show. Because yeah. it was, like, we didn't stop. We, didn't, we weren't done setting things up until, like, two or three in the afternoon. And then yeah. it was, you know, getting Jesus. it all tested and stuff. And so... Yeah, and this was bigger than any of those shows, and they did it every single day for two years. So it's it's exhausting. Obviously, the band didn't help or anything like that. They just showed up. But, like, even the the stage crew had to be just burnt by the time they were done with this. I went and saw
0: Avenged Sevenfold in 2014, and they had that big old skull. I can't imagine how much time that takes to set up. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Or like Marilyn Manson's cross that fell on no, her. No. it. No, no. Fun. <laughs> I don't. I didn't have any reason to bring that up. It's just funny that
2: it happened. It's just. No, it is, it funny, is and funny. And we're we're about to visit. <laughs> actually, yeah, a might bit. be a slightly actually, appropriate. Um, <laughs> so.
1: so they also knew that they had to reserve energy when they were on stage, so they they weren't quite as aggressive or vicious as they once were, and they kind of like found their routine so it wasn't just like they were acting out in the moment like it was everything was kind of becoming staged over time which it was cool and you know you could see the same show night to night but it was also like this wasn't the band that you saw when they were playing at the veterans affairs place like it was yeah. way different than what they were doing before so mikey took some time off from april to august to spend time with his new wife who he married right before they played a show one night. in vegas where hey. else man where else So, yeah, they just, like, knocked it out, and then Mikey went on stage to play. And, like I said, that was the basis, or like we said, that was the basis from from first to last. So, while Mikey was gone, the the band's guitar tech, Matt Cortez, filled in for him. People were worried that Mike had left the band, and everyone had to constantly reassure audiences that he was, in fact, still in the band and just taking a little vacation to enjoy married life.
2: A lot of people saw this as the. Uh, they were concerned it was going to be the beginning of the end. Like people kind of already saw it coming, and it does not happen for a while. Kind of like end, um, the end does get held off, but it was yeah. pretty close. At What's times? a band with two yeah, brothers? Like...
0: It's really popular. Um, um, '90s band. It's just
2: called Two Brothers.
0: <laughs> just
1: called two brothers. <laughs> it's two brothers. God, Two Brothers. <laughs> God damn it. Just
0: two, Two Brothers. Sh- <laughs> <Good>. Champagne Supernova. <laughs> Help me. Oasis. Oh Bro. yeah. Oh yeah, the Gallagher yes, the Brothers. The Gallagher Brothers, they yeah. still fight.
1: Yeah. This 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 was all much more coordinated. Yes it than was. God. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um so the tour was plagued with issues though, on top of Mikey being gone. The band had to cancel six shows with Muse after both bands got food poisoning. And it
0: caused a cafe owner to get multiple death threats, even though it wasn't his cafe that caused the (laughs) freaking food poisoning. So, God, let elaborate on that a little more. It was super vague in my book, but they said that there was a cafe owner that wasn't where they ate, but somehow it got out that it was where they ate, and then he got a lot of death threats.
1: There is just, this, this band is just is just magnets for just getting things wrong yeah like the and bus the wrong, fans, the wrong like, yeah the, the wrong bus being burned and and the wrong cafe being attacked yeah, like, we'll,
2: just, we'll, we'll talk about it here in a little bit but their fans are insane so i can only imagine yeah. that if people think that this cafe is the reason the <laughs> mcr had to cancel
1: tour dates they're like We'll burn it to the ground. Yeah, we'll kill you! Him. <laughs> we'll kill you! <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Is that an, is that an appropriate level reaction? You. I didn't judge. say it was appropriate. Uh, I hope I that one judged. day
0: we have a fan base <laughs> that devoted.
1: Thank you, thank you very much. Uh, so Bob also had to we take a not. short break <laughs> because he began <laughs> feeling pain in his wrist, which turned out to be carpal tunnel, which is not fun. Yeah, that's got to be the worst for yeah. a drummer. It's got to be a I'm, such a bad, worst nightmare. So Frank also had to leave for a short period to go deal with an illness in his family. So now there are there were over time there were three members of the band that had to be replaced over like throughout the tour. It wasn't all at the same time, but like just having all these people come and go like if that stuff gets covered in the press and like that obviously looks really bad for the band. And so yeah. they were worried about that. And on top of that, they still had to deal with adversity both in and out of the music community. Marilyn Manson began attacking the band saying that they were a watered down version of what he was doing. And he wrote one of his songs based on them called Mutilation is the Most Sincere Form of Flattery. Which included lyrics like, and I'm not going to sing this because I've never heard the song. I just looked up the lyrics. You steal instead of borrow. You take all the shapes that I make. You know that I play this better than you. And then a middle section that just says, fuck you over and over again. (laughs) Pretty petty, but the band took it in stride saying that they didn't buy any of it. And he had an album to promote. So it felt pretty hollow.
0: Yeah, he said if. Gerard had said that if it had came from Elvis Costello, it would have meant something to him, but since it came from a man that had an album to push, it was it rung hollow.
2: Well, and they were all kind of like we see him often and he's never act anything other than normal to us, so like Not even normal
1: but like very accommodating and (laughs) nice. (laughs) Yeah, just nice. Yeah. They're (laughs) like so he's
2: probably just trying to get publicity and if not, he can talk to us. But then a quote he said apparently was that he was like, if "They want to be me. Here's the razor blade. They can call me when they're
1: done." Yeah. <laughs> what? Oh, that's bad. That's badgy. That is what. That's what the Daily Mail's writing about. And My Chemical Romance is just as victim-blame or victimized in this as anyone else. Yeah. And like, but somehow they get blamed for it. Like, it's crazy. what a goddamn joke. You
2: know, it's so hard for me to not make fun of Marilyn Manson. I love Marilyn Manson (laughs) so much, but just as a person, he's kind of petty. He's made choices that are going to make me make fun of him. (laughs)
1: Yeah, yeah. Him and his Hitler costume were questionable at best. (laughs) So they played at the Download Festival, which again, like the Reading Festival, I just imagine everyone with their freaking laptops like... (laughs) Just download and stuff. Everyone gets a nook when you watch it.
2: Oh, yeah. no, this is download. This is a reading. Yeah, no, this this <laughs> is where not. there's public. Everyone gets a laptop, this, I say, no, this no. is You <laughs> get a
0: laptop, there's public Wi-Fi, and you can just download music. Just download
1: stuff, stuff, anything you want we're to. We're
0: giving you a, fe- it's a festival, 14
1: straight hours of streaming yeah. and download. You download it, download <laughs> it. Man, the UK is tight. Wild so, on to something. <laughs> Uh, actually the download festival is primarily a metal festival and so my Comical romance felt pretty out of place they were scared that they were gonna get bottled again which they were ready for they weren't I mean they weren't they were scared that it was going to happen but they were ready for it and there was some hatred when they were announced. Uh, so to try and sell the audience they didn't do their standard set and instead only did the highlights and wouldn't you know it, the show was a huge success. Like I don't think they success. wore the out I don't think they wore the costumes or anything like that. I think they just went out and played their songs and stuff. You know, you gotta kinda you gotta you gotta win the crowd over before it's you can like start when, doing uh, some extravagant stuff. It's
0: like when Kiss, you know, they went without the makeup. Hmm. They did do that.
1: And it wasn't bad. Idea. It, was, it was It didn't yeah. work. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> bad idea. That one was bad. Yeah. Uh, some people need the gimmick. <laughs> Yeah, um, so <laughs> sometimes you <have laughs> invested yourself entirely in Yes, and, you did. Yeah. <laughs> so, to, so to try and... Oh, okay, I already said that part. Never mind. Uh, so they also dealt with smaller things, like uh, losing a show to a flash storm in the UK uh, and actually got so bad that the stage speakers and light tower near the stage fell and hurt eight people. And, of course, uh, they also had to deal with fatigue from playing so much.
2: And Frank kind of went through a weird period where he was starting to really be... Affected by the level they were getting to Because he was always the main kind of punk heart of the band As it said in the book Mm -hmm. And he didn't really expect this And so he said when they played Download It was really nerve-wracking for him Because he was going up in the footsteps of Ozzy, Metallica Like all these Mm -hmm. bands that he did not think he was on the level of deserving to be
1: there Yeah, yeah, it's a real imposter syndrome
2: that yeah, has to be so rough. God, yeah. It's, be it's scary. terrifying. Like, it's just, just knowing, scary. like, how long is it going to take before these people also think I don't belong yeah. here? Yeah. And, yeah. and then like, what happens? I'm
0: looking out across, because Download's huge. Like, there are so many yeah. freaking people there. Like, looking out across it, I'm sure it would just be like, I think it's an been an into the hundred thousands before. Yeah, right? it's
1: huge. I believe. So scary. And they and they didn't just, pl- I think they were, like, right near a headlining spot if they weren't headlining this I think they were headlining oh, this
2: so time. S- yeah. So scary. That's why that was what was so rough for Frank being in that headlining spot with all these bands that came before
1: that he did not think they were on the level of. So scary, but yeah, they did a great job and they obviously sold the crowd and stuff. Yep. And so, they—I mean, that's the, when you actually hear him play or see him play, like it's like it—you know—you're kind of just drawn into him and get sucked into it. Yep, you can't help it. You can't help it. It just happens, man. It's lovable. It's like breathing. It just happens. <laughs> it's just natural. Just gotta keep doing <laughs> so it. So natural. It's just natural. Uh, so there were some highlights to this tour, like the band seeing the world, uh, going to play, visit places like Italy, China, Russia, as well as literally many more. Like I said, I, they played on five of seven continents, so it's not too bad. Uh, but on top of that. So Gerard also got married while he was on tour to Lindsay, the bassist from Mindless Self-Indulgence, a band that My Chemical Romance had played with in the past.
2: I like my coffee black just like my
0: metal. I've never, never got him, into so. him. The guy that produced... <laughs> you don't need to. It's the, not sorry, worth The guy it. that produced <laughs> that EP with my old <laughs> band, he loved them. It's just don't do much for me.
2: I'm sorry. I, yeah, I listened to it once in a while back in the day, yeah. but I don't know if enjoyed
1: is the word. Yeah. I don't. I'll, I'll I'll give it a listen at some point, maybe. Probably not. So they played together on one of the legs of the tour, and Gerard and Lindsay got close. They actually knew each other from an old past tour, and now they met up again, and so they got married. And this is actually the Project Revolution, I think, leg of the tour is what it's called. And, uh, fun little fact, this is the era where the erotica that I read on our Patreon is set in. So, it's right after they get married that Frank oh, and Gerard, oh. then... That's
2: why it was so much so tension and they steamy. knew it was so dirty. Huh. Every, you get you guys, it now? So you owe it to yourselves to take a listen. Do it. it. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun.
1: Patreon.com slash <laughs> on in 5 Give us money. We want your money. <laughs> so, they... <laughs> God. So subtle, they, subtle, subtle But he couldn't even, So they got married uh, at Coors Amphitheater in Colorado in early September, and I cannot think of a more beautiful scene than that. just no. the mountains in the background. I'm not talking about on the can either. I'm talking silver about the real Rocky silver. Bullets. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the crew members so one of the crew members was actually an ordained minister, and so they did it right there on tour. Unfortunately, unlike Mikey, Gerard couldn't leave the tour to honeymoon, so it would be almost a year before the two could get away on their own. So it was also around this time that the band took a little time off so Gerard could launch a comic he was working on that we spoke of in the last episode called The Umbrella Academy. Where... Oh, we actually talked about it in episode one. Oh, wait a second. Um, whatever, I don't give a shit. <laughs> uh, guys... and, in, and in episode two. Yeah. And,
2: and now and Again in four hours. Yes, we say. will.
1: We're not. We're not no? sponsored by the Umbrella <laughs> Academy. Uh, streaming now on Netflix. Just, we are yeah. not <laughs> sponsored by them. <laughs> so, so it was a multi-part series that ran for six months, uh, in, in comic form, not the Netflix series uh, that's really good right now uh, that's streaming uh, currently. You can find it right now on Netflix. If you're not doing anything, pause the episode. Go. It is list. on Netflix. Right not now, I am sponsored by. Now. It. I am still
0: actively <laughs> trying to finish it. So. Please, no one give me any spoilers. I, I'm i pretty blind in it, and I want it to stay that way, please. Have you gotten to the point where they S- find S- out shut the Six fuck up. Oh, the apocalypse? Shut up!
1: Shut oh. up! Oh, so uh, uh, Gerard was there to see this this uh, comic, this graphic novel start. Uh, it was super I well- re- that's not what actually happens. What? Oh, okay. I didn't oh, even hear yeah. what you said. Oh, I was yelling guy. over you. I couldn't hear you. <laughs> So, this comic was super well received, and uh, it actually spawned a limited uh, Netflix series, which is uh, streaming right now on Netflix.
2: Wait, what? <laughs> Currently streaming on Netflix. <laughs> it's on Netflix, not
1: sponsored. Where? So, when they broke- uh,
2: In the book, they did say uh, that a movie deal got signed with Universal, I think.
1: The bo- but, the book was written in twenty fourteen, so I don't know if anything's come of it yet, or if they just. Well, they, it.
2: they said there was a movie contract, but nothing has surfaced from it, and so I don't know if that is something that is still is a contract, to happen, is it, or if it just ended up being the maybe it show that is streaming on Netflix that's, right now.
1: It's currently on Netflix. It's on. Yeah. It's on Netflix. Go
0: watch it. I am right
1: now. Don't spoil it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we aren't getting a cent from this. It's actually crazy. Um, So when they broke for this little break, they knew that they had one more leg of the tour to complete. With Mikey back on board, having already done 90 shows, they were very ready. They saw the end in sight, and they were excited. They did a show in in Mexico City on October seventh, two 2007, over a year after they started, where they declared that the Black Parade was dead, and that's literally something they say in the Uh, the during the show and it was actually uh, recorded and put onto a dvd the name of the dvd was the black parade is dead so how about that um and which so it had that whole concert and then it had another smaller show which they recorded earlier it's on youtube that makes it for me
0: that that smaller show is the one with the, the the encore songs right
2: yeah. It's no, right. the smaller show is just them in a bar of like 200 people.
1: Huh. Mm-hmm. It's just yeah, it's just them playing highlight songs. Like nice. they just play yeah. songs from every album. Yeah, and, yeah. It's, it's
2: awesome. not Black Parade by right. any means. It's just them playing songs. I think it's in Jersey. I'm pretty sure. I think sure, you're right. right? Yeah. yeah. I didn't watch
0: yep. the whole thing, but it's on YouTube and it's in yeah. entirety, so. It's so.
2: It's good. like a. It's a place like the size of House of Bricks, and it yeah. is awesome. just people stuffed in there.
1: It's so. Interest. And I think that they, like, knew the people, too, because they were saying, like, back up. Uh, Emily needs a little bit more room, so back up a I'm little sure
2: bit. I'm sure with like, a crowd like that, after all of this, it w- had to have I'm been.
0: I'm sure it's a private especially show. In family, then, yeah, especially yeah. in New Jersey. Yeah, especially in New Jersey.
1: So with that, the tour was dead, or at least it should have been. They were already burned out, but they were happy with where they were. But just a couple weeks after that show, they headed back out on the road to play with Bon Jovi through the end of the year. The band was exhausted, and they had to play an album that nearly destroyed them over and over every single night. It was beginning to really wear on them, and it was looking more and more like tours with Matt Pelliser, with the band keeping to themselves wearing headphones, which Gerard even began calling his shut the fuck ups. And uh, they were basically only speaking to each other when they were on stage. And it's not like they didn't like each other. It was just they were so burned out with each other that they couldn't handle it.
2: They didn't have the energy to even talk. Oh, yeah. yeah.
1: So they were uh, so another person that was really struggling with this was Frank, who started to get anxiety from all it. So he began to take pills to cope. He even began to joke about it taking the pills 10 minutes before he went on stage and then stating, "See you tomorrow." and then would go play the show completely blacked out.
0: This just sounds so like exhausting and lonely cuz you're not going to you you want to save your energy for the show every time. So then by the time you're done you just go to sleep and repeat.
1: Yeah, and yeah, yeah you just like can't you can't enjoy anything. Yeah it's just you're i mean it's it's groundhogs day man yeah Spring ground <laughs> Seriously. uh so outside the band pressures were starting to mount again riots were starting in mexico to kill all emos that's what it said uh, and attacking anyone who fell into that culture even if they didn't necessarily actually fall into that culture the band couldn't help but feel somewhat responsible for this even though they actively tried to distance themselves from that term but the thing that nearly put them over the edge came in May 2008 and seemed to be the horseshit in the Black Parade. I really am a pretty proud
0: of that joke. <laughs> oh, wow, man.
2: Wowza. Thank you. Yeah.
0: Thank you. Thank you. It
2: That was great. That was one of those ones that hit me so hard. I didn't even get it. Yeah, I
1: didn't
0: even see
1: that line there. Stop. Stop. I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't need this.
2: That was good. That was good.
1: (laughs) Okay, so this actually came about when a little girl killed herself
0: yeah strapping stra-
1: so the band was blamed for a 13-year-old suicide <sighs> and who blamed them but the Fair daily, said, daily mail so a yep. 13-year-old yeah, girl again. hung him hung herself and the daily mail stated that she was obsessed with the band and they drove her to kill herself they said that the band was again a suicide cult and that all emo music was a sinister cult and should not be dealt with
0: i decided to read like a portion of the article it's it's not good uh, they mentioned how the parents had found self-inflicted wounds prior to her suicide. They didn't say how long before, so I'm assuming probably weeks, because the parents decided to cast the blame on someone else besides themselves. Mm-hmm. And I'm, but of I'm, course. I'm not blaming the parents for the suicide though. I'm not doing that. <laughs> but they did blame a band oh, for their daughter dying. So no way it could have been. I I understand that you know they were hurting probably at the time, and they had this newspaper that didn't like the band anyway but well they also said that when they asked her about the cuts
2: she told them it was an emo initiation that I'm mm-hmm. air quoting cuz i don't picture 13 year old me or 13 year old anyone i know saying something like that but i mean i don't know yeah if, i feel like what, if uh, i feel like if i was 13
0: and guess. someone asked me about me cutting myself i just wouldn't want to talk about it but yeah, yeah, I don't think I would.
1: Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I'm not saying that. But, like, you know, you look at, like, the Marilyn Manson thing, and some people do push it to, like, the extreme. And, and then you have bands that are, like, like the more mainstream, quote-unquote, emo bands that, you know, everyone's like, well, look at these guys. These guys are wearing... They look, look kind of the same. Well, look at them. They, they put mascara on their eyes. They obviously yeah, want them. you to that kill yourself. The only basis. They have yeah. all black <laughs> clothes on, on and then
0: growing. some red, like blood yeah and we, and so we
1: didn't bad. mention it uh but actually um on the first article that the daily mail did they actually quoted the emo song the one by uh adam and and uh, the the parody song that, that was really big in like the early 2000s we can post it on oh, our social yeah. media or whatever but it's like it's a parody of all emo songs that is says like cut my wrists and black my eyes oh, and stuff so you, and, like
0: um uh hawthorne heights ohio is for lovers it,
1: No, the song is called the emo song, and it's by Adam and and Andrew or something like that. Like it's a parody of an emo song. Really? Yeah,
0: I know. I don't think I've ever heard it.
1: it. Yep, and it's very like it sounds very whiny. Like it's it just sounds like a overdone emo song. Whatever, it's fine. But the Daily Mail like quoted it seriously with their lyrics, saying that it was like, obviously, this is this what... This
0: paper did no fucking research at all. So bad.
1: No, now that so I think bad. about and it,
0: Ohio for, is for Lovers is not a very good song. Like the lyrics.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that might be more considered that, I an say, emo that, emo that, that one says, uh,
0: they street say, cut, cut my wrist and black my eyes. That's more kind of straight yeah, up. That's yeah, this yeah. is pretty on the um, nose, but yeah.
1: Yeah, it's fine. Uh, so yeah, My Chemical Romance was getting blamed for this, and obviously you didn't like it. Um, so the band felt that their album had already taken on a life of its own, and already have, and having these allegations thrown at them caused even more resentment towards it. The whole band was hurt and angry by this, but it was actually Ray who was more upset by this than anyone else. He was usually pretty optimistic, quiet, and happy about what was going on, but this stung him in a way that took quite a while to heal. He hated that the music he had created was being used against them and as a vehicle for hate. Luckily, fans came to the band's rescue protesting outside the Daily Mail in August, picking back up where the Reading Festival left off two years earlier chanting, fuck Daily Mail directly outside the doors.
2: (laughs) This is so wild. There are so many bands of like historic levels that do not have a following like this. pretty awesome.
1: It's, It's a really bad Way to phrase it, but they did have a pretty big cult. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was not <laughs> yeah, yeah. not I, cult, cult, but cult uh, following. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's really loyal fans, yes, yeah, which yeah. is great. But luckily, I mean, luckily they weren't telling you to cut your wrists and stuff. People were just yeah, exactly. interpreting, t- interpreting like a lot of stuff that way, which is unfortunate. Like they said, it's um, a broad it a generalization. D- it wasn't because yeah. they would never talked about stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. pretty upsetting. Uh, but them chanting outside the Daily Mail would come in three months, and so the band still had a few more shows they had to deal with with all of this going on. They were wrapping up their tour for good at Madison Square Garden on May 9th, and they couldn't be more excited, but not to play the show, but rather to be done with this tour. They were getting to play at the place that Mikey and Gerard had been at 12 years earlier watching the Smashing Pumpkins and realizing that playing music was what they wanted to do.
2: So this whole tour kind of ended up being close to like two years because they did the year or whatever run of the black parade tour and then they got offered another tour right after with for you know buku bucks that they couldn't turn down and Mm -hmm. everyone kind of after this was like yeah they should not have gone on that second one they should have shut down for a minute regrouped and then you know started looking towards the future but they, they just completely burnt themselves out. And the whole time, uh, Mikey and Gerard were being like, the, the Ma- playing Madison Square Garden is going to make all of this worth it. That's going to be the cherry on top. Yep. And at the end, it'll be great. And they drove themselves into the ground to where they didn't even. They, they couldn't it enjoy it. It wasn't that they didn't it. enjoy it. They, they do enjoy it, but yeah. it is not the landmark that yeah. they thought yeah. it would
1: be. They, yeah, they thought it was going to be this <clears throat> huge, like, well, yeah. Austin said it better than I could, like. They thought it was going to be perfect, and it wasn't. And so it was pretty it, upsetting.
2: It, they were more focused on the fact they were finally done than the fact that they were playing Madison Square Garden. Yeah,
1: Yeah. So so they were now playing here, uh, but it wasn't excitement, but rather resolution that they were feeling. So the band was tired. This was their last show on tour, and they didn't know what was coming next.
0: It is nice to see that they did get this final show. It's,
1: it's, it is a very nice beautiful little, sendoff. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, yep. a, it's pretty poetic.
0: Good ending,
2: yeah. Um, yeah good end, yeah. Yeah. ending, yeah. Yeah. And
1: that's not Funny, to say yeah. that they didn't have fun on stage. Uh, on stage, Frank, who is a huge New Jersey Devils fan and blacked out from the pills, shouted, fuck you, Rangers, instead of saying, trust me, during the I'm not okay uh, build up during the bridge. As Madison Square Garden is where the New York Rangers played. Go
0: Sports.
2: He said he told the whole band that he was going to do this, and they were like, "No, absolutely don't <laughs> do that. You cannot do that. Don't." And do he it. was like, "In the moment, I was like, I'm never going to get the chance to say fuck the Rangers <laughs> at Madison Square Garden again in my life." You
0: know, what? he might have been completely sober and remembers it. You gotta, you gotta seize
2: the day. It's so yeah, funny. I respect that big time. <laughs> seize so the car. That's a moment you.
1: I just, lo- yeah, you- I love too that he like he told the band. He's like, "I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it." And everyone's like, "Don't." don't. Do it. it. No, no. no. Don't Especially do in like, the Northeast.
0: Like, sports in the Northeast is so intense because they're all so they close to each They're so close oh, to each other, so there's so much
1: rivalry. Ugh. Don't yep. shit talk to Knicks, yep. man. <laughs> yep. yep. Fuck the Rangers. And then there's I Iowa, mean.
0: who doesn't even have a professional team. We got
1: nothing. <laughs> we got... nothing. Uh, so. While they did put on a great show, uh, they they were ready to be done. So Helena finished, and they left the stage, and the Black Parade tour was officially done. There was a party backstage with all the stops pulled out with a big buffet, big bar, everything you can imagine. And while it, it was all there, the band was mostly absent, staying mostly in their dressing rooms. On stage, Gerard had said, if you never see us again, it's been great. And he truly meant it. The band members collectively agreed that the past two years had been the most incredible, exhausting, rewarding, and torturous thing they'd ever done. They were content with leaving My Chemical Romance in their rearview mirror as they had other venues to explore.
2: Uh, after the set, Ray stopped Gerard in the dressing room and basically told him to take some time off. And he was like, if you need to start like another band to get things off your chest in a more reasonable manner, you should do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the whole band was just
1: pretty content with, like, yep. tired playing being made yeah. history at yeah. this point. <laughs> yeah, so when they left Madison Square Garden that night, they said their goodbyes and went their separate ways, not officially broken up, but not seeing much of a future as a band. And it would take a miracle to get them back together anytime soon. Luckily, though, that miracle would present itself in something very close to the band members' hearts, which we will get to on the conclusion of My Chemical Romance, on the next episode of On and Fire. Hell yeah! We did it. What a good story. God, I like yeah, I so much.
2: I'm ready to keep trekking. We got one more episode to go. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna pack an album into it, and you know, two albums then really? touch on, on what they're doing now. Yeah, <laughs> but these 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 last two are the ones that they really don't, are close to my heart.
1: They don't yeah. do much for yeah. me. <laughs> Two ep- no episode two and no, episode these three. Oh, yeah. We, yeah. Yes, bullets, these, these, bullets in the black, black, Par- black parade. Yes. And yeah. I love their next album and I love conventional sweet weapons, cheer. but like yeah, these these two albums are a master.
0: I wasn't as much as a, of a damaged person when events. they
1: came out, so I didn't need them as much. So that's it for this episode. Um, Thank you guys so much for joining us. If you want to find us anywhere on social media, you can do that at uh, uh, We're On In 5. That's Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, W-E-R-E, On In 5. Please go follow us. Please go like us. We post a lot of fun stuff on there every day. I was doing it for a while. I was doing an okay job. They really kind of talked me up. Ethan has taken over, and he is doing a killer job doing multiple posts every day. And it's so fun to look at. You can also go check out our <laughs> website we're on in 5.com. I post on there uh, little bonus stuff like I said I'm going to put little stuff on there from this episode that you can go check out. Uh, the documentary from uh, Welcome to the Black Parade is going to be on there. So please go check that out we're on in 5.com. If you want to find me Anton on Twitter or Instagram, that's anton is on in 5. A N T O N is on in 5. I don't post very much stuff. Definitely don't post stuff related to the podcast. But it's still fun to follow me. Uh, If you want to follow Ethan anywhere,
0: I am Ethan Bonin on Twitter, Bones for Bonin on Instagram. And as always, please email us at weareonin5 at gmail.com because we will talk to you. Ask
1: Tom Bryant. That's true. (laughs) That's true. Yep. Thank you again, Tom. He'll talk to you too. So nice. So (laughs) nice.
2: Austin, what about you? Uh, I'm on Twitter as T H O M A A A F. I'm on Instagram as Austin underscore Thomas09. Uh, again, don't worry about me. Just follow the the <laughs> podcast pages. That's where it's at.
1: Yes, Please. you can go follow him because he does post. Somewhere. You can.
2: I won't. I won't not let no. you. And I will follow back. I'm just saying. I'm yeah.
1: not a person worth. <laughs> your time no. he posts some stuff about the band when bands doing stuff obviously uh everything is in a pretty big lull right now because yeah. nobody can meet to go see yeah the show, nothing but... is happening currently nothing. but that is the world we are living in so um yeah. anywhere you listen to us please like us and review us we would love if you did that obviously we'd love if you just listened to us and didn't do that as well but if you could throw us a bone here and do that uh just review or just rate us at the very least just Click hit the stars hit the yeah. stars nice. yeah press those stars with your mouse or your finger um also, we're on uh, Patreon. Give us money. Give us money. <laughs> give, it to them, give us <laughs> money. Give us money. I think they're gonna do it. I think they're gonna do it. <laughs> this this, is, how give, this is how you out. get This is how you get them to give you money. <laughs> um no but for real thank you so much for listening this we are just loving doing this series so we are happy to do it even if we're the only three people who listen to it we are so happy to do it good ass time let us know what you think about it whatever if we miss anything what uh, anything like that please let us know um uh, we're going to kind of leave it there We'll talk to you again in two weeks We are so excited uh, Does anyone have any songs to sing?
2: Juliet loves the beat And the last man the, the, of
0: the blood on your hands Romeo I really
1: I, really yeah, no,
0: I